Hi, I'm Eric Voss, and Avengers Endgame is now available digitally in places other than my tear-soaked memories, allowing nerds to actually rewatch this movie frame by frame. And if you're like me, and I am so sorry if that's the case, you probably directed your rewatch attention to that epic final battle. It is filled with interesting cameos, Easter eggs, callbacks, many of which I got when we first watched the movie, but now that we can really zoom and enhance on all this stuff, let us rewatch the Endgame final battle for all the new details that we missed the first time. There's a lot of stuff, hidden visual clues, interesting combat moves and assists, hidden layers of meaning. There's way more than I ever realized. Spoiler warning for all things MCU past and if I accidentally say something that happens in MCU future. Okay, starting in this final battle, notice when the MCU Trinity make their initial approach to Thanos as he waits for them in the rubble of Avengers HQ, Thanos holds a handful of stones, debris from the rubble. Now it's hard to get an accurate count of these because the camera cuts away from his hand when he starts to flick them to the ground, but it looks as though Thanos is holding six of those stones, as if he's visualizing holding all six infinity stones in his hand, applying, I guess, that secret visualization mindset to this coming stones battle. Remember, this Thanos is from 2014, a time before he conceived of a gauntlet as a way to contain all six stones at once. Thinking about the timeline, Eitri probably wouldn't have forged that for him until sometime between 2015 and 2017, depending on when you think that Age Voltron post-credit scene took place, and whether the gauntlet in Odin's vault was indeed not legit. Okay, then the fight begins, and right away, Thor proved he has learned from his past mistakes. His first strikes against Thanos, with Mjolnir, and then again with Stormbreaker, both go for the head, just as he did in the opening beheading. Thanos blocks Iron Man and Thor's dual power-up blast by twirling his blade, which some have interpreted as a nod, possibly, to the Thanos copter that was the goofy yellow helicopter that Thanos flew in a 1979 Spider-Man comic. It was turned into a toy by Mattel and kind of a meme. Fans have been petitioning for it to appear in the MCU. This apparently is the closest we'll get and we will take it. Another interesting detail to point out about this three-on-one fight is how it displays the relative strength between the Avengers. Like when Thanos hits Cap, Cap goes flying, but when Thanos hits Thor, a god, Thor takes a hit, but mostly absorbs it. Maybe it's all that insulation. Now, one of the more interesting moments we've been wondering about occurred right before the big cap-wielding Mjolnir moment. Thanos is fighting Thor, Thor summons Stormbreaker, but Thanos intercepts it, he swings it upward, and then pushes it closer and closer into Thor's chest. Now, this is a callback to Thor doing this to Thanos in Infinity War, but also it somewhat suggests that Thanos might be worthy of Stormbreaker and Mjolnir. Now, that's just a theory. I would say it's possible that Thanos just might be redirecting the battle axe's kinetic energy just a bit, rather than like lifting it. Also, we should say that most of the deeds that Thanos commits to prove his worth, so to speak, applied to the Thanos of Infinity War, the 2018 Thanos, not this Thanos, who is younger, from 2014, and less of an eco-terrorist seeking balance than a straight-up genocidal fatalist seeking to burn everything. So even if there is a version of Thanos who is worthy, I don't think this moment proves this Thanos to be so. Meanwhile, just to be clear, Cap lifting Mjolnir was intended to establish him as always worthy. When Thor says, I knew it! It's a deliberate callback to Age of Ultron when Cap tried to lift the hammer and it budged ever so slightly. The directors confirmed that Cap in that moment knew he could lift Mjolnir if he wanted, but he decided to spare Thor's pride. Cap shows off his mastery with Mjolnir when he tosses his shield past Thanos and then deflects Mjolnir off his own shield, creating a shockwave that knocks Thanos to his feet. Cap is recreating that team-up move that he and Thor did in the beginning of Age of Ultron. After this initial beatdown by Cap, Thanos, frustrated, removes his helmet and delivers a vicious volley in response. It's almost as if his helmet was getting in his way, so he removed it for round two 
of this boxing match. And when Cap tries to hit Thanos again with Mjolnir, Thanos grabs Cap's wrist, not Mjolnir's handle or Mjolnir itself. Perhaps this is another clue pointing to Thanos not being worthy. Cap gets knocked to the ground, shield split in half. The imagery of Cap defeated like this evokes Tony's nightmare vision in Age of Ultron. And for Tony, if you think about it, this darkest moment shows that nightmare coming true. Natasha's death, the return of Leviathans. The directors are returning to that imagery to make us feel complete despair here. Now while all this is going on underground, a few interesting new details have emerged. As the other Avengers get their bearings in the rubble, Ant-Man radios to Hulk, Rhodey, and Rocket, and behind Scott is actually Rhodey's new red-lined war machine armor. Rhodey shows up wearing this later in the battle, but here they established how Scott was able to get Rhodey in this new armor so quickly. And when Hawkeye is getting stalked by the crawling outriders in the tunnel, he fires an arrow that lights up the tunnel, reveals them. It's a bit of a nod to that shot in Aliens, which is a favorite of the Russos that got referenced in Infinity War, when Hicks shines a light into the darkness and dozens of crawling xenomorphs are there. Now the battle reaches its climactic turning point when Doctor Strange and the Sorcerers portal in the heroes and warriors from across the universe, including the Ravagers and Howard the Duck. Actually, Kraglin with Yondu's Yaka Arrow headpiece was supposed to be among them, but removed from the film. And the portal through which the Ravagers and Howard the Duck arrive, if you look closely at that background, is Contraxia. That's the snow-covered planet that they were all hanging out in in Guardians Volume 2. Now, during this charge, it's kind of fun to figure out what Spider-Man is swinging from. Initially, he gets an assist from Scott's giant hand. Very cool. But later, in the wide overhead shot, Peter's just kind of floating on nothing in the front line. Maybe the clouds or invisible helicopters from that Spider-Man PS2 game. Though, if you look closely, he might be swinging from Falcon or part of Thanos' fleet. And then, lots of fun moves appear in that initial collision between the lines. Cap underhand throws Mjolnir into Cole Obsidian. Thor lightning plows a group. Scott Lang punches a Leviathan. Drax jumps on Cole Obsidian from behind and stabs his shoulders with his daggers. He's doing this to free Korg from Headlock. Shortly after this, there's another move that I missed before. As Cap and Thor trade Stormbreaker and Mjolnir, behind them, Mantis brings down a beast by putting it in a trance. And there are a bunch of other moments I pointed out before, like Stark and Peter Parker finally getting that hug that Peter wanted in Spider-Man Homecoming. Stark had denied him, saying, we're not there yet. Now they are. <laughs> also, Falcon stabs someone with his wingtips. So cool. And Hope Van Dyne radios to Cap. We're on it, Cap. The knowing look that Scott gives her is a callback to that scene in Ant-Man the Wasp when Hope mocked him for this. Well, Cap needed help. Cap? Ten. America. Captain uh, Cap. That's what we call him. But some new details have emerged here. The filmmakers have said after the movie came out that they intended more reunion moments between characters in this final battle, but had to cut them for time. And you can actually see a glimpse of one right behind Scott and Hope here. Groot extends his branches up to slam down an enemy who's coming up behind Rocket. Now later, we see how Rocket returns the favor by covering Groot when Thanos rains fire on the battlefield. There's also a kind of hilarious missable continuity error here. Scott and Hope go into the quantum tunnel van trying to jumpstart it. But shortly after this, giant Scott is visible in the background shoving a leviathan into a portal and then after that shot Scott and Hope are back in the van normal sized. Yeah I guess it's possible that after we cut away from Scott he could have taken a break from jump starting the van, grown big again, and then pushed this leviathan into hell and then shrunk back down to normal size to continue jump starting the van. Or this is all just a montage and some stuff is out of chronological sequence. Or we'll just have to consider that the most profitable film of all time screwed something up. It is possible. Don't get me started about those damn pin particles. Cap gives Spider-Man an assist with Mjolnir as something to hijack from, and he calls him Queens, a callback to their exchange in Civil War. You good heart, kid. Where are you from? Queens! Brooklyn. 
And during the final charge with the female heroes, Okoye is the one to impale Corvus Glaive, perhaps giving her some closure after Corvus killed many of the Dora Milaje guards at the Battle of Wakanda. And during Thanos' melee with Captain Marvel, Thanos rips the Power Stone out of the gauntlet and punches her with it. The purple energy consumes his hand and arm, just like it did with Peter Quill and the others in the first Guardians movie. But unlike those others, Thanos is strong enough to wield the stone in his bare hand alone. And then the moment our hearts stopped. Thanos nearly snaps. But listen closely to the music. That music sting there is actually the same music that we heard all the way back in the first Avengers, the similarly heart-stopping moment that Iron Man flew the nuke through the portal. Composer Alan Silvestri resamples this dramatic leitmotif to bring us back to that feeling of nearly losing everything, but saved at the last second by Papa Tony. Thanos' forces dust away, and it's a kind of creepy, cathartic parallel to the tragic ending of Infinity War. Like a leviathan dusts away right as it chomps down on Rocket, and it releases a haunting scream. And I pointed this out before, but the way each of Thanos' Black Order dusts away reflects some of the Avengers dust moments. Ebony Maw dusts as he limps up to Thanos, clutching his chest, just as Peter Parker did on Titan. And Proxima Midnight dusts away with husband Corvus Glaive in her arms, posed the exact same way Scarlet Witch was with Vision in Wakanda. <sighs> just kidding, I feel nothing. Thanos, meanwhile, is left empty gauntleted, returning him back to his empty gauntlet status from that Age of Ultron post credit scene that started his whole stone quest. And his final breaths are shown in the exact same camera movement as his final shot in Infinity War, dollying around the Mad Titan as he limps, sits, and reflects. Now, there is one more possible Easter egg that a lot of people have been talking about showing up in Peter Parker's high school in the closing montage. There is a girl with short blonde hair a pink backpack, and a web pattern on her skirt, which many are saying could be Gwen Gustacy. Now, Marvel has not confirmed this, and they probably will never, because Gwen Stacy is technically a Sony property, and any appearance of the character in the MCU would have to be a huge, complicated negotiation. So this student is likely just one of the many Spider-Man fans at Peter Parker's high school, whom we can just call Gwen Stacy, don't tell Sony. Comment down below with your favorite new detail that you spotted from your Avengers Endgame rewatch that I know you definitely did. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at EAVoss, and subscribe to new Rockstars for breakdowns and theories about everything Marvel. Thank you for joining me, and now, there's just the first two hours of this movie to rewatch frame by frame. <laughs> Kill me.